Hi, my name is Emma Fowle and welcome to this very special conversation airing just in time for Father's Day, in which I got to sit down with father and son duo, Jake and Les Isaac. Reverend Les Isaac OBE really needs no introduction. The founder of Street Pastors, he preached at the now infamous parliamentary prayer breakfast last year that was later name-checked in the resignation speech of ex-health secretary Sajid Javid. Was Les's the sermon that ultimately brought down a government? I guess we'll never know for sure, but it is clear that the passion for justice, integrity and service that has marked out Les's long career and ministry impacted those in the highest positions of power. And it was certainly no surprise to his son, Jake, who has been listening to and critiquing his dad's sermons for most of his life. Now married and a father himself, Jake Isaac is a successful musician signed to Elton John's Rocket Music record label. He has toured and performed with artists that include India Ari, Sting, Paloma Faith and Elton himself. But despite the rock stars that he has met, it is clear that his dad is the real hero. Jake and Les discuss growing up in ministry, teenage temptations and what it takes to really be a man, as well as the impact and legacy of the racism that they have experienced and their hopes for something better for the next generation. This was such a beautiful conversation to sit in on, and I know that you are going to be blessed, entertained and moved by the honesty, humour and love with which these guys share their story. I think for me, Jake, you know, it's just incredible when I reflect on life and thinking me leaving Antigua, that little utopia on earth, and coming to this country, it was very difficult. And my experience and the trauma of coming to this country because of my experience. First of all, the trauma of leaving Antigua on a Sunday afternoon, having not spoke to any of my friends in school that I was coming to this country. I'm into a country where I really didn't know my parents. And then on arrival, I discovered that it was cold. It was very different. And people culturally and, you know, culturally, they were different. And the real shock for me was the fact that this was going to be home. And I didn't know how long for, because in those days, parents didn't speak to children. Unlike our relationship, when I say, look, tell us, tell us anything you want to tell us as long as you're not rude. Uh, you know, you remember we used to tell you these things. You had a way of communicating. Your sister had a way of communicating. She would communicate to me through long letters on, and leave them on the doorstep or <laughs> on, on the top of the stage. And then... <laughs> And then after she told me on mine and told me how wrong I was and what she wanted to do, she would always say, P.S., could you leave me five pounds for pocket money? But, you know, it was so different. And and it really was really interesting for me because culturally and, and, and socially with my parents, there was a massive mismatch. I remember, you know, as a young kid that I thought, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be an adult, I'm not sure if I'm being mad, I'm not sure if I'm going to have children, but I do know this, that, you know, I know what my children, my family to experience what I experienced. And then when it came to religion, it was, for me, it was a very conflicting time because, you know, as a black kid, I was getting all, all sorts of names, a church 
I couldn't figure out why Jesus looks like the people who hate me. And I found it extremely dull and boring. And I suppose those experiences informed me about what I wanted for you guys, because I had to go to church. You know, my mother, every Sunday, we couldn't mess around. Church was it. And when we were in church, we were sitting like, you know, children on attention. And um, my intention was when you guys were grew up, that you made your own choice and your own decision. So I think that's where I am at first. And I'm sure you've heard that before, Jake. And I'm sure you must really appreciate how lovely your dad was as you were growing up. How much did you get to pay me? <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, I think I've always been grateful knowing your experience, knowing your journey. I've always been grateful um, just for the work of Jesus in your life because I think what you experienced, um, generations, the whole idea of uh, generation cycles, generational cycles is a very real thing. And when I look at stereotypically what should have been a generational cycle in terms of how your dad and your parents gave you that experience and what my experience should have been on the basis of that, I know that the grace of God and, and just you walking with Jesus made a world of difference. And um, I think my, when you're growing up uh, and it's all you've known, it's very hard to, um, as a young guy hitting puberty gap in teenage years, I think it's, it's sometimes it's very hard to be grateful for that. But I think now looking back, um, having lived a little bit more and, and also being a father myself, I realized um, how privileged, how blessed I was to have a dad that loves Jesus. I think, uh, but I think also one of the things I've, I've always kind of shouted about actually in, particularly amongst my friends and when I shared or spoken or, uh, um, is, is that it's one thing to describe what others, and I think you've been always good at that, uh, showing who Jesus is uh, through your lifestyle out there. But I think what I am, uh, what I am the fruit of is your discipleship at home, um, uh, yours and mum's. I think I, I, yeah, I, I completely benefited from your perspective, your willingness. Because there were times where I know that I wasn't the easiest son to have to live with. And I remember that. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> I think for me, you know, you're always sort of, you know, thinking that my upbringing was my parents, my father. I couldn't question him. I didn't say a word to him because that would be offensive. Yeah. That would be culturally, you know, out of order. And I was always very much, I want my son to make his choice, make his decisions. Um, and yet I, I realized that I couldn't always, and I don't, didn't want to, make decisions for him. I want to show him. I wanted to talk to you about these things. And so for me, the big thing was, will he become a Christian? Um, you're always compliant. You know, you, you know, you, you know, you, you were like, your character is more like your mother and, um, you're always compliant, but you had a mind and you were creative. I thought sometimes this guy's on a different spectrum. However, I knew that when you reach certain age, there were, there will be challenges and all sorts of things. And I remember once, I don't know if you remember when I picked you up from school and you said, oh, dad, I'm 16 now. You know, I could have sex if I want to. 
and I, you know, and I went into my Caribbean mode. Why? <laughs> I could hear my dad. And when I remember when I go like that, you say Enoch, you should call me by, by, by your granddad. And, and you know, but I was really excited that we could talk so freely um, about, you know, whatever was troubling you, you know. Um, and I think for me, what was important that I had to let you go. I had to allow you to think, to make choices and decisions. And it's never, I didn't find it easy as a father, but I knew that that was the right thing. And I think for me, you know, it was so important. Um, sorry, it was reassuring when you really got into music. And I thought, oh, my, he's a music freak, you know. And that helped me because I knew you were channeling your energy in some creative things. And then I began to worry, well, if he gets this successful, our girl's going to run after him. How is he going to cope with, you know, all these immorality business? You know, is he going to be upright, integrous, and righteous? You know, all of those things, you know, you just, you look and you observe and you think about those things. And for me, I tell you, it was about how do I pray? How do I talk? How do I demonstrate to him? Look, it is important whether you're 18, 19, 16, or 21, or whether you're 50, 60, temptation will always be before you. But the most important thing is that you've got biblical principles that you try to hold to and try to help you just to balance out your choices and your decisions. Yeah, I think that your, I think key point for me, um, which, which, I mean, in my eyes, I had you a lot of respect. Was I knew that you had these are the days when we were in Icarus, Icarus Kitchen Fellowship, and um, you, you, you and Mum were heading up uh, the church part the Crystal Palace, and um, it was like Lara, my sister, was she was uh, maybe thirteen, around thirteen. Well, I was I was uh, fifteen, sixteen. Um, and I remember the next oldest person was like mid twenties or something like that. And um and so there was a massive disconnect for me in terms of who do I hang out with. The only reason I was Uncle Dan is because I got to play drums every Sunday. And um and I remember you saying, Well, why don't we go and try some other churches? And I thought I, I have a lot of other mates or pastors' kids and whatever else, and they their dads and even like family who are pastors' kids or leaders' kids, and their family dare not say, you know, why don't you go to another church? And hang out with people who are your age, and um, and I think that's both probably the loudest in terms of my discipleship, because it said to me that you were willing to let me go, for me to do a life of holiness and do a life of, of running with my peers and being discipled and being excited about the culture and the faith that we find in Jesus, and you're more willing, you're more you're more willing to let me go and do that than keep me in the name of appearances or serving in your local church or building what you're building and, and I I think in my whole journey that that blew me away and I think um and also spoke of the trust um you trusted me to go off and find find myself I remember years later just listening to a conversation with mum I used to I used to think I was going to marry Beyonce you know I used to have all these Destiny Child posters up in my bedroom I was a teenager only five years later, the child was short. My mum was, but she started to see these women up on my on my walls in bikinis, like this, each child up on my wall. And I was just like, 
Well, why not? Like, oh, I have a mate to be in it. Why not? I want to wake up and see Beyonce first thing in the morning. Yeah, I'll pray, but I want to see Beyonce. And uh, and I and I only realised years later that Dad was just like, he's, he's on a journey. Mum to yeah. Mom too. You know, and and I think again it takes a level of spiritual maturity to be like, listen, a couple of posters up on this a popular girl group, that is nothing compared to how we live out our parenting and discipling and releasing the trust in the build relationship. And again, those things spoke loud to me. They spoke really loud to me. And, and, and again, it's all in light of, I know my granddad, my, my dad's dad. I know he's not the easiest man to live with, to grow up with. Even now, he's on a journey. He's on a big journey. I love him. I love him. I know my dad does. Um, and I think there is, uh, it's because we're called to love, uh, but also it's family. Um, and no matter, uh, every has, family has its issues. Every every father has their issues. I have my issues. We all, have, we all do. Um, but I feel like having a, a, a granddad, um, and my dad having a dad that he has, and I look at that in life, how my dad's fathered me. Honestly, it was, um, I think it's discipleship at its finest. I'm not saying my dad didn't get it wrong. I don't, I'm not saying he didn't get it wrong there. Um, I just think um, I've, I've realized um, how you're willing to put aside your experiences in order to build a new experience with the son. Um, and I think in that willingness and that sacrifice, um, it's been a key factor, a key contribution to me walking with Jesus now. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Mum was talking to me the other day. She's talking about something. I think I raised up, I raised an issue. Hey, mum, when it, I think it's something like, uh, mum, I don't hear you celebrating yourself or even your children as much as you could do. And um, she was talking to me because, you know, sometimes she, she's reminded of just stuff from her her experience growing up, which that wasn't really in the culture. Celebrating people wasn't really in the culture. And I said something which actually reminded me of my upbringing as you as a dad. And I said, you know, it's a beautiful thing when a son can show grace to his parents. I think, I, I think, I think, again, that's a reflection of um of the kindness of the amount of grace that I've been shown by you as my dad and mum and mum. Um and I think the honor is for me to be like, hey, I've observed some stuff um about my parents, but actually the most beautiful thing is I can I can stand with them, I can uphold them, I can have still have beautiful conversation. I can show grace and I can still learn. Um and um, it's just it's just I don't know, it's just um I've been praying recently for my family, my, my two children, my wife. When I put my children to bed, they're half asleep. Well, they, they don't hear half of it, but I've been praying that we'd be, and it's on the basis of my experience with my parents. I've been praying that um, they fear God from before the age of seven. Uh, uh, um, this is going to sound a little left, but Buddhist monks, I've done this numerous studies over the years, and they, they say if you give a child to them before the age of seven, they can make a monk out of them because those are the most formative years. So I've been praying that they'll fear God from before the age of seven, they'll run with them. I've been praying that God will give us as parents wisdom, myself and my wife. I've been praying that we'd be best friends as a family, we'd be great friends, and that there'd be a culture of honour and celebration, that we'd honour each other and that we'd celebrate each other. I celebrate my daughter if her hair looks great. I celebrate my son if he's got new trainers or if he's just swapped another level on his Nintendo Switch. 
a culture of honor and celebration. I think um, when my dad, dad, when you, when you, when you said, "Hey, you've got music, go for it," and you pick me up every day, every every gig, and you drop me off, and you'd stay up late, and you wake me to get the night bus home. You and were so... paid me back for it. You I'm not. Well, I'm not working. All right, I worked tonight. But but just pause a minute because I think for me, you know, just listening to you as well, and I know we have conversation all the time. I I, I feel deeply humbled, but I think. I think one of the things that, that I'm always conscious of was that when I was seven, my parents got divorced. And that was a, one of the most painful experiences in my life, particularly as a young child. And I, I, I made a conscious decision about if I get married, if I have children, that I would never leave my wife and I would never want my children to go through this. And I think for me, what really helped me, I, I believe 100%, is, is God. You know, coming to faith has really helped me to really live that out in terms of the challenges in marriages and relationships, the, the determination, the stickability. I really thank God for that. And I think, again, for me, when I read the Bible and when I think about my experience, I think that my experience, and I remember saying to myself, I don't have to become a victim of my own circumstances. And then when I look at Jesus' life, I see this relationship with the Father. I see this relationship with his disciples. I see this relationship, desire relationship with us. And so for me, if I'm going to model something of my theological beliefs in Jesus and in the Word of the Lord, I've got to start to model it with you guys. And I think for me, what has really helped me, in, especially in the difficult times, and you remember over the years, because I've been preaching all over the place, and I, when you were young, I, I took you on preaching trips with me specifically, and I, I'm still getting over the trauma of you telling me that my preaching was useless. Okay? Uh, <laughs> but Lord, I forgive him. <laughs> but but it, I, I suppose... As well, and it's interesting, and people go, oh, why did he tell you your preaching was useless? i never forget, I was preaching in Watford, and, you know, I went to the church, and we were praying for this guy, and I preached my heart out that night after that um, service. And after the service, this guy got, became a Christian, gave his heart to the Lord. And I thought, let me ask my son, he's eight years of age, and a son, you know, eight, nine, son, how was my preaching tonight? I was really excited, driving down the motorway. And you pause as you use it and says, I was useless, Dad. And I haven't used the word useless. I probably said it 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 it, it was so traumatic. You said to me you said to me, I couldn't understand your illustration and uh, although you couldn't articulate you probably think it wasn't systematic enough, you know, I couldn't and I remember the following night I was preaching in a Baptist church in Elstree. You see how much I remember today? <laughs> That really young, and I'll come on to that in a minute. And I remember looking over and I'm thinking, oh, he's asleep in his mother's lap. Lord, I couldn't take two nights of being useless. I remember saying that to the Lord, I couldn't take two nights. And I, I preached my heart out again, and I thought, well, you slept through that, so I can't be useless tonight. And on the way in the motorway, you said, oh, Dad, don't think I was sleeping, though. I heard you. You were much better tonight than you were last night. And I thought, whoa. And, and and it's really interesting because years later when you were at university and Laura was at university 
I don't know if you remember, I was preaching this Anglican church in fact, that you guys came along and and I finished preaching and in the car, one of you said, oh, we haven't heard that preach for a long time. And the other one said, oh, he's improved, hasn't he? And, and you know, and from those two experiences, I always ask young people, how was my preacher tonight? Was it too long? Was it too short? You know, was it boring? And I still do that up until this day because of your guys' honesty to me, with me, you know, your honesty about, you know, what should happen. But I also remember the fact that we used to travel a lot. And I remember we had a conversation one day I picked you up from school. And I said, would you want to become a minister one day? And you said, no way. And I said, why not? No, I wouldn't want to leave my wife as often as you leave my mom. You're always on the road. You're always preaching. And secondly, there's no money in it. So it's obvious I wasn't into prosperity then, you know? <laughs> you clock that. And I never forget, you know, you. I was in the Caribbean preaching. You were in um, Bogota, I think, with Martin Smith and doing something. And I remember ringing you and says, hello, evangelist, how are you? <laughs> how <are> you? <laughs> You know, there must be money in what you're doing, right? <laughs> but, well, you know, I think for me, and, and I remember again, you know, that the fact that when I was starting street passes, I was on the road, in the country. And I remember one day feeling that actually I've neglected you guys. And I don't know if you remember when I called you all into the front room, Mark, mm -hmm. your sister, and said, look, I'm really sorry. I, I've neglected you guys. I'm really sorry I've been on the road. Because, you know, you guys meant a lot to me then. You you know, I was so glad every time I came in, my wife was there, you guys were there. You were my family. And, you know, you meant a great deal. But it just so happened that I was making some incredible sacrifice. And I was insensitive to that. And what really helped me was the way you guys really responded and was gracious to me and, and really helped me. And so for me, it was a double thing. It was the fact that, Yes, I was stretching it a lot, you know, um, and I remember you know that mom said at one point in the ministry, she felt she was a single mom, and I had to work that out, and then I was thinking about how you guys felt, and I remember I said to you at 14, you're traveling with me on a mission trip, and the next time I went away, you said to your sister, don't worry, dad's doing the Lord's work, because actually you came with me. And then I had to take on a mission trip to Germany so that she could see what I'm doing so that you guys could bless. So I think for me, it's been a journey for us as a family and being all hunky-dory. We've, you know, we've had some tough times, you know, with the ministry. It has been tough. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember, but the time that you rang me, I was at a church. I was doing some things in the vestry and you rang me and said, Dad, how come? all the other fathers are home with their children and you're always at the church. That touched me. That, that you know, that really touched me. Um, and so there were tension, but I think God helped us through. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. I think part of my, what I do now, I've realized from my experience being your son and uh, now being a father and a husband, I think that the there are ways in which we can make our family feel like priority. And I think, again, based on your experience, I mean, having a dad getting up and leaving, I think you've done amazingly. I'm really honest. Um, and I think 
the, the level up from a son showing his parents grace, the next level to that is is a, is a father having the humility to be able to apologize to their family. I think those sorts of things cultivate, again, the culture of honor. Um, again, I think the same could be said in terms of, you know, me telling you how come you're at church and my, my, my mates' dads are at home. Well, I can probably guarantee maybe like 85% of my mates' dads never apologize to their sons or daughters about something they've gotten wrong because it's not something which particularly your generation might do often. I don't know, I might be wrong about that, but I, I can tell you for a fact 85% of my mates' dads didn't apologize for things that they've gotten wrong with his parents. Again, it's in a moment like that when a dad comes home, gathers his family and says, hey, I'm sorry, I haven't prioritized you as much as I could. Those things don't go away. They become crucial building blocks in the discipleship, in the authenticity of relationship, um, in building family that, that ends up doing kingdom. And again, contributes to my change of perspective again. I'd never do ministry. And people say to me, Oh, you can be a pastor like your dad. I'll tell them, I'll tell them where to go. Um, to now actually being like, actually, there is a way to do ministry. There is a way to do ministry firstly at home and, and then out there, um, which is sustainable. Um, and sacrifice, I think, again, learning from your journey, sacrifice doesn't come just from being out there. Sacrifice can also come being at home. Um, I was reminded by saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And by saying no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And I think I've learned in my time, I've had to, I've had to say no to stuff out there. And because I need to trust God that he's big enough to provide or to do what he needs to do by me ministering and provide, I'm prioritizing my family at home. Um, and that's a healthy generational cycle, building upon prioritizing kingdom, firstly at home and then out, and then out there. Um, so I think I think great foundations have been laid, and the grace of God is in the fact that even in the mistakes, great foundations have still been laid. Mm. And uh, would I do it all over again? Yes, but I'd probably be even more vocal, which you probably might find a bit difficult. Um, I don't think so, son. Because, <laughs> you know me, I think for me, you know, growing up, not being able to articulate my feelings, yeah, yeah. My father, it, oh, you know, particularly to my father, it, it it could have really psychologically damaged me because I, I strongly believe that children need space, yeah, you know, to to reason, to ask questions, and yeah. I do it now with my grandchildren. When your children, yeah, yeah. what's wrong? You know, what is it? What do you want to do? You know, what do you think about it? Because I think that we have got to allow that level of um, imagination, but also questioning and also reasoning yeah. as part of their expression and as part of their development uh, and skills. And so for me, I think, you know, um, I love the fact that, you know, you guys did talk and your sister was more, more vocal than you, you know. And I think I think it was so important and I think part of the reason why we have a relationship and we could talk and you could say, look, Dad, that's cheesed me off or yeah. say something, it's yeah. because of the fact that I intentionally sought to create space yeah. so that, you know, we could understand what's happening in our minds 
and what's going on in our feelings so that we could really address it yeah and move forward together yeah i am um, i there's a there's a part in well the part of scripture which i always think of when it comes to yourself particularly as my dad don't grow weary in doing good in due time you reap reward and i just i think that sense of pursuing what's right before god um is something which i'm still on a journey with we all are we all have a grace but I feel like um, even now, just listening to you, you're, it's a, the whole faith thing is a journey of spirituality and humanity, isn't it? And I just think um, you tread that line of being so real with your humanity and, um, and yet leaning into, into who Jesus is um, to sustain your inner man. And I just, I just think I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind, and I've said, I've said, I've said this to you outside this context as well, I wouldn't mind being the type of granddad you are. You're you're all right, granddad. Do you know what I mean? Dream. Yeah, yeah, you're all right, you're all right. Um but I, I think I say that because of your awareness of your humanity. Um and you weren't just aware of the grandkids, you've been aware with us. I think sometimes when people get old they get softer and the grandkids get the soft version of the water down version of our old you know what I mean our generation experience. But I think you've always been like that. I think sometimes you might struggle to articulate it what you feel um I, mean, I never remember noticing it the first time i did something and, and i heard you and I, I think i said something to you like i couldn't talk to you about it or whatnot and you kind of went quiet on me for maybe like two three days as in the conversation wasn't as much and your feedback was to me that really hurt me and I, again i think i i i realized number one it's possible to hurt my dad uh number two he he's expressed to me that he certainly has never done that that I've heard, and he's never done that before. Um, and number three, I realized that maybe there's a bit more to our relationship than I thought there was. You've always met, tried to be transparent um, uh, with with your feelings and tried to articulate your feelings to us. Um, and thus, as you said, encourage that from us. Um, and you did it with the kids. And, and, and that's why I say to be, um, yeah, to be the Asian you are, a part of the generation you are, um, and to have that in your in your repertoire in terms of communication and creating a space, I think it's I think it's stunning, um, um, and it uses Jesus. It uses Jesus. Um, I, I I think it's a privilege for my generation to be able to say that I have done like you. Yeah, fair enough. You got an OBE. Who cares? You know what I mean? All that stuff. Well, Canon OBE. Yeah, good life. But um, I think that is secondary, completely secondary. To the fact of you still you still try to do what's right, you still honor God, and you still inspire your family. Forget what other people think, you still inspire your family to try and honor God. That was Reverend Les Isaac OBE and his son, musician Jake Isaac, sharing a really special father and son conversation with me, Emma Fowl, on Father's Day. This conversation was recorded for the commemorative Windrush 75 June edition of Premier Christianity magazine, guest edited by the wonderful Richard Reddick. You can head over to premierchristianity.com to read the article in full now or to subscribe to the magazine.